Hey, my name is Jared. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, Providence. We're excited that you are here this morning to dive into another psalm, Psalm 9 to be exact. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 9. We're going to be there in a second. But before we do that, um, I just wanted to, to catch you up. So last week, in case you didn't notice this, I was gone. Did anyone notice? You probably didn't. It didn't really matter. But um, uh, we, my wife and I went on what we believe was our very last baby moon, okay? You've heard of the term baby moon. So we got a kiddo coming on the way. So we left our kiddos with my parents, uh, and and we flew out uh, for one last hurrah. It's going to get chaotic. We flew out for one last hurrah to go to sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. We stayed in this wonderful hotel resort kind of place where we, we were able to hang out and just chill, and it was quite amazing. So last week at this time, you guys were gathered here and singing and, and, uh, gathered here and there was, the word was being preached and I was sleeping in and I was, uh, going to breakfast. And about this time I was making my way from breakfast, walking to the pool. And I got to be honest, I wasn't sad about it one bit. Now I didn't miss you guys a little bit, but, but as I sat there, so this was our situation over the weekend where we sat, we were, uh, I was just sitting in lounge chairs by this adult pool because they relegated the kids to another area so you don't hear the screams and cries of kids. And I was sitting there in this lounge chair, and I'm like, I'm sitting by the pool. There was literally palm trees over the top of me, and as I looked in the horizon, there was these red Arizona mountains that made up the horizon. And as I was there, I thought, man, this is incredible. I thought a few times to myself, man, Jesus, thank you. Like, thank you for blessing me with this. This is just an amazing, amazing thing. And in these few moments uh, that we were, in the weekend that we were there, I was thinking, man, I'm connecting with my wife. We're eating amazing uh, and carb-loaded food. And, and it was just extremely relaxing. And I thought in those times, man, it's easy to respond when you've got palm trees and a pool and mountains and amazing food. It's easy to respond that way. It's like, God, thank you. You're good. Like, you're taking care of me. And then, on Monday night, we flew back. We flew back, we got in about midnight, and I got up on Tuesday morning, and I woke up on Tuesday morning to the cries of many children in my house. And as I, uh, you know, helped get the kids ready, I went to work, and my inbox was flooded with emails. And I was thinking about a sermon that I hadn't started studying for yet. And I was thinking about a couple of situations, some sticky relational situations that I had to navigate with some work stuff, and all sorts of things were piling up. It felt like the walls were closing in on me, and I was stressed, I was anxious, I was fearful, I was worried. You name it, I was feeling it, and I was like, okay, God, just, just change this. Like, just do something about this. It's, it's easy to respond that way when life kind of feels overwhelming, right? It feels only natural. I think that that more often than not, we are a people who are kind of tugged around by our circumstances. I think that our moods, our joy, our our contentment are, are kind of slaves to whatever our circumstances are that we're going through. So if life is good, in other words, we feel good. We're doing good. If life kind of feels like it's bad, then we feel bad. But... Psalm 9 has something different to say about that for those of us who are Christians. Psalm 9 is a call to look at our life in a different way, to to look at our life in light of the, the, the bigger story that God is writing in our life and to see our story in light of this grand story that God is writing. 
You know, as I've studied Psalm 9 this week, in the midst of some of these anxiety-filled circumstances, God has actually brought me peace. He's brought me this, this sense of, of calm amidst some tough circumstances. And today, as we study this Psalm of David, I believe that God wants to challenge our church to have a, a, to have a different perspective. And not to microscopically focus in on our inadequacies, on the people who seem to be making our life miserable, on the stressors and the anxiety inducers in our life, but instead, he wants to instill a new sense of calm and confidence in us. In the fact that God has been working before we were ever born, the fact that God is working in and through us now and God will continue to work, and for those of us who are in Christ, until we are one day glorified with him. God is in control. Essentially, the call from this psalm is to worship in all circumstances. And we're going to see David really does that in two ways in this passage. The first one is to remember, and the second one is to believe. The first one is to remember God's deeds that he has done in the past. And the second one is to believe God's promises of what he says he's going to do in the future. And so we're going to look at Psalm 9, and we're going to talk first about remembering. And so I want to start off by rereading these first two verses. So Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. Let's look at these two verses together. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now, here's my question. If you read these verses by themselves, would you assume that David is having a good day or a bad day? Would you assume that his circumstances are are kind of making him happy or sad? Well, upon reading these two verses, this dude, he he seems to be kind of upbeat and, and peppy, right? Like he's overflowing about how good God is. And one would just naturally assume when you read this, you think, man, this guy's flying high. Like he must be like, he might be sitting out by a pool in Arizona under palm trees or something. Maybe sipping a margarita or a lemonade for those of you who grew up in a Mennonite tradition like myself. Let's make it church appropriate here. But if you look a little further down in verse 13, or if you remember what Jared was reciting a few minutes ago, you find out something different. You find out that, that David's circumstances in this situation may have been just as bad as a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Psalm 7, and he was being slandered and torn down by some people around him. His circumstances in this moment may have been just as bad as, or close to just as bad as they were three weeks ago when we were talking about Psalm 6, when he was full of sorrow when David said he was languishing, when he said he was drenching his bed with tears because of everything that was going on. That may have been a situation that he, that, that he was in, but there is this completely different tone that David has here. It's just completely different, right? And so you notice that amidst these bad circumstances, he somehow still gives thanks. He somehow is still joy-filled. He's glad. He says that he can sing praise. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I like want to know, like, I want to know what's going on. Like, give me the exact situation. And unfortunately, like so many Psalms, uh, we're not actually sure what was taking place at this time. So from one scholar to the next, they say, I think this might have been going on. This might have been going. This may have been the situation he's in. And we don't actually know what he was going through. But at the end of the day, we know because of verse 13 that he was in some sort of affliction at this time. 
We know that this psalm was written by David. We know that David was the king of Israel, but we don't know much more than that. Now, if you're new to us or new to the Bible, let me fill you in real quick. So this is a song or a poem that was written um, by David, who was uh, God's pick to be the king of his people, Israel. Now, you would think that if someone in life was going to have good circumstances, it would be the hand-picked king of God's own people. He's handpicked by God to lead his own people. But once you start looking at his story, you see some different things. Like you find out that before he was king, the king before him, Saul, was chasing him down for his very life and trying to kill him. That's not good circumstances. Then you find out that, that Saul's people uh, had turned against him. They were cursing him. They were throwing stuff at him. You find that out in 2 Samuel. And then you find out after that that David's own son betrayed him. He was coming after him, trying to chase him down and kill him, just like the king before him. So we see in David's life, even though he was God's chosen king, he doesn't escape life's circumstances. He doesn't escape enemies, providence. We'd probably be wise to remember that ourselves. If God's handpicked king over his own people was subject to trial after trial and affliction after affliction, what do you think we should expect from life? At some point, there's going to be trials. And at some point, there's going to be afflictions. It's not always going to be perfect. But in these first two verses, God, or excuse me, in these first two verses, David calls his heart, and he effectively calls our hearts to, to take a different approach. He says in the first two verses, he, he says to recount all God's wonderful deeds. He says to remember. When you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're fearful, when you're stressed, when it feels like the walls are closing in on you, when you feel like you don't have hope, the call is to remember. Well, remember what? What exactly is he talking about here? Well, I think what we're supposed to remember or to recount is how God has worked in our own lives, in our redemption story, and also to, to recall or remember how God has worked through all of history. How his faithfulness has been shown even despite our unfaithfulness, even despite his people's unfaithfulness. David goes on to list the things that he's recounting in verse 3 through 5. He says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out, and the very memory of them has perished. Now, some scholars believe, as David is saying these words, they believe that he's recalling the victory that he had over Goliath and the Philistines in this moment. As he's writing this down, they're thinking that he is thinking of this, this giant man, this mighty warrior who had come uh, on behalf of the Philistines and was intimidating David's uh, own country. And, and his country of Israel was severely overmatched in this. But as the story goes, with the power of God, David, just a, just a kid really, steps out and with a stone and a sling... He flings that stone at this mighty war, this giant named Goliath, and he brings him down. 
and he effectively defeats a whole nation. Think about this. That was a firsthand experience for David, walking out as a kid and flinging a stone and taking down this huge giant, taking down a whole army. The man who's writing this experienced that with his own eyes. You think David knows what it looks like for God to act on his behalf to save him? You think he's seen some of God's wonderful deeds firsthand? He saw it in his own story. But he is undoubtedly, as he's thinking about this, and as he's thinking about recounting the, the wonderful deeds of God, because we know how Israelite reflected back. We know how David in his other Psalms he recounts back. We know that he was also looking to how God had rescued David's people, the Israelites, in the past, specifically through the Exodus story. I'm sure most of you have heard this before, but David would have indefinitely been recounting back to how God saved his people, that when his people who had been enslaved for 400 years in, Exodus, in, in Egypt, how God intervened and delivered them miraculously. And through the ten plagues, he allowed them to go out of slavery and walk away from Egypt and the most powerful man in the world. And when they did that, he would have undoubtedly been, been recounting the fact that they came up against the Red Sea. And you remember the story, right? As they looked back, they saw the Egyptian army come after them. And at that point, they were done. Hope was lost. They had nothing that they could do, but in a completely miraculous act of God, he parts the Red Sea. The people of Israel, David's people, God's people, they walk through, and as the Egyptian armies our Egyptian army is giving chase, and they're coming up behind them. God drops the water of the Red Sea on them, and he takes care of them, wiping them out and saving the people of Israel. David knew that God had interacted on people's behalf to save them and protect them over and over, delivering them, and he knew that he would continue to do so. If he's done it in the past... He's going to do it in the future. He's going to be true to what he says he's going to do. You know, on Friday morning, just a couple days ago, um, I woke up in the morning and my stomach was in knots. I was behind on uh, prepping a sermon. There was a couple of uh, just issues that I was trying to sort through, some relational things that I had to navigate through that were giving all sorts of, of stress and pressure and inadequacy. And uh, I felt this pressure to, to perform here today on Sunday. I felt this pressure to like, be able to fix people's situations. And I was just tossing and turning in my bed in the morning. Uh, and I, was just, I just wanted to like, put the blankets over my head and like, not ever come out. Have some of you been there before? It's like this awful feeling of angst. And then this is what happened as I was sitting in that place of angst. By the way, if some of you are feeling just numb toward God right now, I want to say that God, God is real, and he actually ministers to people, and he actually works. If you study the scriptures, he will actually bring these things alive, and he will help you minister to you through the scriptures. He will minister to you through his spirit. It's real. God is real. And in that moment, as I uh, lay in my angst, uh, I was laying there, and God, now don't be weirded out by this, but I feel like God gave me this picture in my mind. And I was viewing all of these circumstances that were like swirling around, and it was like completely overwhelming to me. And, and what happened is 
God brought Psalm 9 to mind, and it was kind of like if you've been on Google Maps and you hit the like zoom out button, and it goes, and it goes out, and all of my circumstances just became this little dot. And the, the, the picture that came to mind, that God brought to my mind, I believe, was this upward trajectory, and all of the, these circumstances that I was facing just became a dot on this upward trajectory of a timeline. And I got this sense in that moment that God was not waiting to see if I was going to preach a perfect sermon on Sunday. And that God was not waiting for me to heroically rise up and to be able to save some of these people that I was trying to minister to that week. He had no interest in me being a hero, but instead he had intentionally designed my life. He had intentionally been walking with me through my life. He was sustaining every step. He was moving me forward. He was changing me and developing me and transforming me through the good times, through the bad times. And as I looked at the timeline, I was thinking of the times that that he had walked with me through about with depression. And And he had walked with me through times like a couple years when I was battling doubt in my faith. And he had walked with me through some of the highest highs, some of the the mountaintop moments with God, but he had also walked with me through some of the lowest lows. He had walked with me through an Arizona vacation and also through a stressful work week. And all this was this story of redemption that God was writing in my life. He had intervened. He had saved me. He was taking me along this path. Now, as I was sitting there, I was just imagining this. And as this was coming to mind, I had a new sense of calm and peace that came over me. And then it was as if God hit the zoom out button a couple more times. And as this, as it zoomed out, my whole life kind of became this dot. And then I saw a timeline of all of history. And as I saw this timeline, God brought this picture just of the history of his action in the world. And I thought, man, in the beginning, God created, and he was in control. And then he brought to mind this story of the Exodus, how God miraculously saved his people. He was saving and redeeming. And then you follow along the Bible, he rescued Israelites and David from Goliath and the giant. He intervened again, and then it went to the middle of this timeline of all of history, and there was a a cross there representing Jesus and the fact that God actually stepped into the timeline and he did something about it, that, that on the cross in that moment that Jesus had victory over sin and death. He had something to say about it. And, and, and he would put the enemy to death in that moment. And then as, as the rest of the timeline kind of filled out, uh, it was like I saw that the fact that there had been millions and millions of people that God had grabbed to hold Jesus had grabbed a hold of their hearts, and he had saved and sustained them. He had been working in a redemption story in their lives, and the gospel had just kept moving forward, kept moving forward. Jesus had kept working. He had sustained people's lives all the way until it came up to the little speck of my life on the end of the timeline. And as I saw all of this in the moment, and I thought about the fact that God had been saving and redeeming through all of history, I realized, you know what? It probably doesn't matter if I bomb the sermon on Sunday. It probably doesn't matter if I probably don't have to lean into this anxiety and let it overwhelm and overtake me because if God has been faithful, he will continue to be faithful. 
even in spite of the fact that we've been unfaithful, even in spite of the fact that, that God's people had been unfaithful in the Old Testament, God remains faithful and Jesus has remained faithful to us. Providence, could we become better at remembering? Could we become a people who recount God's wonderful deeds? Remember when God delivered you from addiction. I mean, could you remember when God walked with you through depression? Could you remember when, when God turned that light bulb on for the first time and you saw Jesus for who he really was and you crossed over from death to life? Could you remember when God provided the finances that you needed? Could you remember in times of loneliness when God provided the community and the relationships you needed? Could you remember when Jesus himself was the relationship that you needed? Could you remember that that God has walked with us step by step through the highest highs and the lowest lows and that he is still with us. He's going to continue to do that. Now, David, in these next verses, he describes um, God in some pretty lofty ways. He says that he is enthroned forever. He's calling him a king. And then if you go down in verse 7, 8, 9, it talks about how God judges the people. So he, he paints God as this big this lofty king in this lofty judge, but at the same time, he uses this image to describe how God acts toward us, even in our unfaithfulness at times, how God acts toward his people. He says that he's a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold is a military term. It's a fortress of protection. Think of the the image that this would have brought to mind for the people who were singing this or reading this or what David was thinking. So, so the image is, is a group of people being under siege by a bunch of warriors, by an attacking army that are coming on, and they're moving toward you, and they're trying to imp- impose their will on you, and there's just hundreds of, of arrows flying at you, and they're all coming toward you, each one of these arrows with the ability to pierce you, to be able to kill you in an instant, but... At the same time they're coming for you, you're actually behind this gigantic stone wall that's this fortress. And these arrows, which are instruments of death, suddenly come up against this stone wall, and they hit like spindly pieces of wood, and they fall to the ground, and you're completely safe because you're behind the stronghold. It actually kind of reminds me of a video I saw earlier this week for this amusement park. And in this amusement park, they actually put people in this glass cylinder and drop you underwater where there are like 15-foot crocodiles that you go swimming with, okay? This doesn't seem wise, but apparently it's safe because the glass is like this thick. So they drop you down in the water, and in this ad that they're showing for the amusement park, there's like these 10 or 11-year-old kids that are down there. They're dropping this raw meat in front of this crocodile, and these gigantic jaws of this 2,000-pound croc are like chomping just like inches from these kids' faces. But they're completely safe because they're inside the cage, If you are in Christ, God is your stronghold. Arrows may be flying, crocs may be chomping, and it may be a little bit closer to you than you'd like. But there's complete safety and comfort with him. And let's remember his care for us. Let's remember the redemption story that he's been writing. Could we be people that sing praise about that regularly? Now, I want to take a little time to to address the last seven verses that are here. So um, 
in these last seven verses, you kind of get a peek behind the curtain of what's going on. You kind of get an insider look at David's heart because in the first half, he's, he's praising, he's proclaiming these things about God and his deeds. And then it, it changes just a little bit into a plea or to a prayer. And I'm going to entitle this second section to believe. So as we look forward to believe. So let's read verses 13 and 14. David's prayer says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Now, we referred to these verses earlier when we were right at the beginning, when we were reading the first couple of verses you see right here that David is not kicking back and relaxing. He's not praising as he's just chilling. He's actually under affliction, as it says here. And he turns from a section of praise into really a prayer, a prayer that God would be gracious to him and that he could return to rejoice again. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in the next couple verses that come after that because David really cycles around or circles around and talks about some of the same themes as he did in the first half. He talks about God um, taking down David's enemies. He says the nations have sunk. Uh, He talks about God's role in judgment again. He says the needy shall not be forgotten. He's talking about how God is going to protect the oppressed again. But at this point, you kind of get the feeling as David breaks into this prayer that, that it's almost as if his head and his heart aren't quite in line. It's maybe as if the worry and the fear and the anxiety of what's going on around him and with his enemies are creeping in and he's going back to God, begging him to bring his head and heart into line again. Maybe you've been there before, right? God, would you bring... Would you bring my heart into line with, with what my head knows? Would you help me to trust in my heart what I know in my head? Would you help me believe? Believe that you are my stronghold, that I can praise you in that. A lot of you have probably been there, right? Like, man, I know this is true. I know that God is for me. I know he's working in some way. I just don't know. And David is kind of in a moment like that here. You know, yesterday morning when I woke up, I felt like I was kind of living out the flow of Psalm 9. There was the same knots in my stomach, the same unfinished sermon that I hadn't completely written yet, some of the same situations facing me that I was trying to navigate through. And it was more of a fight to believe. And in that fight, man, it was just a consistent, like, turn to pray, turn, God, could you align my head and my heart? This is the, the battle that we're going to face as we go through these circumstances. You know, as I read through this and reflected over this entire psalm and thought about what, what David was processing, one of the questions that came to my mind is, how did David know what God was going to do? Like, why was he so confident to believe in God, or better yet, what was he banking on? Because David said, God is going to destroy my enemies, but the enemies were still at his doorstep. They were still around him. Like, what exactly what he, was he thinking on? And I think the answer to that is one, yes, he was remembering back 
to what God had done. But I think the second answer in this section was that he was looking forward with God's promises. God told him what he was going to do. God told, specifically told David, and I found this because I was like scouring through the Bible. I'm like, wait, what is David banking on? And so as I turned back through the story of David and I turned through 2 Samuel, I found 2 Samuel 7 where God made a covenant with David through the prophet Nathan. God spoke to David, and he says, in this point where he's making a covenant, he says the very same things that David is banking on in Psalm 9. He says, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 9, he said, I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies. It's the same kind of language. In verse 10, he says, violent men shall afflict you no more. Verse 11, he says, I will give you rest from your enemies. So in Psalm 9, in this praise and this prayer, David is taking these very words of God that he has given to him, and he is looking forward and believing what God will do based on his promises. If this isn't a call to be people of the word, I don't know what is. And you know what else God told him right after those verses? He told him in the very next verse after that, he said, God said to David tactfully, hey, after you pass on, after you die, he said, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He was looking forward, David was looking forward to someone who would come and make everything ultimately right. A king who would sit on the throne ultimately and bring ultimate peace and defeat enemies. What David looked forward to in this Psalm 9, we look back to and know that through Jesus, everything changed. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he had a victory over sin and death. And he has given our enemies that we feel right now, our pains, our afflictions, our stresses and anxieties, and even the enemy Satan himself, he has given them a death sentence. And one day they will be completely gone. It's true. It's what David is banking on here, and it's through Jesus. But now Jesus has begun here and now as we live in this world that is still Afflicted by sin, Jesus has begun to establish a new kingdom where he's the king. And he's writing a redemption story, a greater redemption story. And if we've trusted in him as our savior and king, he has started a redemption story in our lives too. And he has pulled us into the kingdom and he's doing something new. He's making things new. He's transforming us. And he has filled us with promises that we can know are true. And so now as we face today's circumstances, tomorrow's circumstances, we're faced with the question, what are we going to believe? Will will we believe the world? When we feel under attack, are we going to believe our anxieties? Are we going to believe what the world tells us? Are we going to believe what Jesus says about us? So I want to take a minute to read a few gospel promises to you that we find in the scriptures in different places in the New Testament. And as you maybe are walking in here and facing affliction, maybe you're, uh, it's something that maybe is coming up in the coming weeks or months, I want you to consider these things. 
These are true of you if you are in Christ. Philippians 1.6, it says, And I am sure of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to, the, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is working in you, and he will continue to work in you and sustain you until you breathe your very last breath. 2 Corinthians 12.9, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's the reality. We can stress all we want. We can worry all we want. But when we are weak, Jesus is actually strong. Ephesians 2.10, it says, You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, not only are you as a human being handcrafted by God, but the reality is, is he's writing a redemption story in your life, changing and transforming you. And he is saying, what this is saying is that what you've been taken from and what you've been taken to in Jesus is actually a masterpiece. Your redemption story of how he is changing and transforming you, even through the best of the best and the worst of the worst, is actually a work of God that points to Jesus' work of grace in your life. And one more I want to read from Romans chapter 8. It's verse 38 and 39. It says, for, listen to this. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will not leave us. He has experienced victory. Jesus is the reigning king, and one day he will put to death all of these things, and we will be able to be with him as he reigns. <clears throat> Providence, as we go through the ups and downs of life, could we not microscopically just focus in on the anxieties and the problems of today? But first of all, could we zoom back and could we look at the wondrous works that God has done for us in the past, both in our lives and in the lives of, of Christians, God's people throughout history? And then secondly, could we look forward with confidence that God delivers promises to us and he has never once broken a promise? If he said he's not going to leave us, he's not going to leave us. If he said that through the trials he's going to form and shape and mold us into a, a, a piece of art, then he's going to mold and form and shape us into his masterpiece, into his workmanship. If he said that one day all of the tear and tears and the pain and the trials of this world are going to be gone, that's what's going to happen. We can trust him for that. And as we wrap up, I just want to give two practical things that I really want to press in this idea of remembering back and believing forward. And the first thing is this, as we think about remembering, man, I want to call you guys, just unashamedly call you to start living life in community. If we want to be a people who want to remember the wondrous works of God, yes, it's good to say those things uh, in your head, maybe to say them out loud or whatever, but we need to start being a community that declares the wondrous works of God together. We need to gather in our city groups. We need to gather in our huddles. We need to gather here and share the stories of, one, how God has been faithful to his people through all time, but also how God has been faithful 
in our lives. I mean, start telling stories of how Jesus has been working recently, today, whatever. Could we be a people who start building this culture? It's a call to, to, to be a community. So let's start trying to cultivate in that in our community. And let's start to press into community and actually live in community. The second thing when it comes to believing is, is this. As is, is we think about God's promises for the future, um, Providence, we, and I'm saying this to myself too, we have to be a people who read and study and dwell in the Bible. We just have to be a people of the Word. If we don't do that, what, the things that we're going to b- start believing are anxious thoughts. The things that we're going to believe is what the world tells us. The things that we're going to start believing are the the cultural idols that we see and what they promise, sex and fame and money and power and control and all of those things. And here's the reality. They're false. They're lying to us. They don't deliver. But God has true promises, and they're jam-packed in the Bible. They're all over the place. And if we want any chance of praising God, God in all circumstances. We need to be a people who are intently in the Bible, who spend time reading his word, studying his word, knowing his promises, and believing and trusting in his promises. Providence, could we be a people who remember and believe? Let me pray. God, as we are gathered here today, I imagine that there are many people who feel like they are in a, a place of maybe affliction, And God, I just want to uh, pray the last two verses of this section that David prays. He says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. God, could we be a people who live in light of the fact that you are so much stronger and more powerful and above any man or any uh, thing in this world and at the same time, God, could you let uh, your followers in the room know that they are safe, secure, and loved, and cared for by the king of the world, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. God, could we be an unshakable people? Could we be a people that think on you more often? Could we be a storytelling people that tell of your stories of redemption? And could we be a people that not only know things in our head, but that believe in our hearts that the things that you say are true? And could we live from that reality? And would that not only uh, just infiltrate uh, our individual lives and our community here, but could it spill over into the community, into our friends, um, to our family members, into the people that we know? And could your light, could your gospel go forward in the circles that we exist in? Could they know that you're a stronghold? Could they know of your wondrous deeds? Could they know of the fact that you have such wonderful promises, good news promises for those people who are in you? Jesus, uh, we are so thankful for how you've worked. We're so thankful for the story that you're writing. Remind us of how you have pulled us into your story and you're caring for us and you will see us forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.